You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. ...that it's Mission Sunday, and so we're focusing today on uh, reaching our neighbors, reaching Savannah, and reaching beyond. And we're specifically, as we pray right now, we want to pray for... Uh, the Basoto Project, the Basoto people in Southeast Asia, and the missionaries who we have sort of adopted to care for, to make a part of CBC. Um, so just a couple of things that we're going to pray for. Let me mention them, and then we'll, we'll pray together before we dive into the scripture. First of all, in July, a praise, um, in July, CBC gave money, you may remember, to translate the book of Acts, and so uh, we have fully funded the project that is going to be translating the book of Acts into the language of the Basoto people. So that's super cool. We, we praise God for that, and we want to be praying now for the translation team as that team comes together uh, to, to translate the book of Acts. And then um, the missionaries who we have sort of adopted have specifically uh, asked that we would pray for them as they are facing much spiritual warfare right now. So that, that's the request that they have given. There is a table outside uh, that you can go to on your way out. We have prayer cards. Uh, so we want to be remembering to pray for them, not just today, uh, but throughout the week, to pray for our missionaries, to pray for the ministries that we have ongoing here uh, in the neighborhood and in Savannah. So let's pray together, and then we'll open up the scriptures, and we'll see Jesus Christ this morning. Father, what a joy it is to come together with our brothers and sisters, with, with your people, to enjoy singing your praises, uh, to come before you in prayer on this day that we have set aside to emphasize missions. Uh, Father, we do, we praise you that uh, you are working through us. Thank you so much. We are, we are broken vessels. We are, we're just... We're just, we just want to be used by you, and so if, if God, you would in some way use the resources that we have to help us fund the translation of the book of Acts, uh, that would be so great, so great. And, and, and we, we lift up those who are going to be translating that book, uh, those who are going to be leading that translation, those who are going to be doing all the different things that go into this, that you would lead them and guide them, help that, that, that project to come together. Father, most of all, may Jesus Christ be exalted through that uh, as, as that project continues. And Father, we also pray for 
specifically as they have asked for prayer in, in light of spiritual warfare that they know that they are engaged in right now. And we ask that you would give them an understanding of the power that we have in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. Help them not to rely on their own strength to battle the forces that we know are, 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 are being waged against uh, all that would support and would proclaim the name of Christ. So help them, Lord, by your grace, even as we're going to see in this passage right now, to recognize their weakness, uh, but to put their hope thoroughly and, and fully in the strength that is faith in Jesus Christ. So we ask that for them right now. Comfort them even now as they are on the other side of the world. And Lord, finally, just for, for our church, we pray that this wouldn't just be checking a box, uh, but that this would be an ongoing effort to see Christ proclaimed beyond these walls. Lord, may this work that we do here every Sunday morning together to open your word, may it just be the foundation for all the things that we go out and do by your power, by your strength, certainly not on our own strength, uh, and for your glory in Savannah and in the, the state of Georgia and in the U.S. and even beyond. So we pray these things, trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so we human beings like to think that we are in control, that we have enough resources, we're good enough, we are well-connected, we are respectable, we are smart enough to handle whatever comes our way. Let me read, this is a passage that I came across this week, and I thought, I'm, I'm throwing that in. Uh, Psalm 2, I'm just going to read it for you. Psalm 2, verse 2 through 4. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. So all the powerful people of the world get together and they make their plans and they say, we're going to throw off God and we're going to do this ourselves. And they think they're so great, but the Bible says that God laughs. And I, I wish I could say that he thinks it's cute, but he doesn't even think it's cute. It says he holds them in derision. He, he mocks their foolishness because the very height of foolishness for us as human beings is to expect that we can do anything against Almighty God. It is the essence of foolishness for us as men and women, as brothers and sisters in Christ especially, to think that we can carry on our lives apart from him and apart from the strength that he provides. And we all go around, let's just be honest, we all go around most of the time acting like we've got this. I've got it. And then those times come when you realize that you are not in control. Who remembers October with Hurricane Matthew? Did anybody in here think they were in control with that hurricane bearing down upon our city. We're not. We're ants. We're less than ants. We, we are very powerless, especially in front of Almighty God. And so today, and I'm going to get right to it. I kind of spent all weekend trying to think of a good introduction, and I'm like, man, these are great stories. I'm going right, I'm going right to it. So we're going to, look at, we're going to look at four stories, four interesting accounts from the life of Jesus 
And I'm going to tell you right now what the main point is, okay? Big picture, main point, Jesus is Lord of all. It's that simple. Jesus is Lord of all. Four, four stories. Jesus is Lord of the natural. Jesus is Lord of the supernatural. Jesus is Lord of sickness. And Jesus is Lord of death. If you can come up with much else that scares you, I'll tell you, Jesus is Lord of that too. But I think that's pretty comprehensive. The natural, supernatural, sickness, and death. Four insurmountable obstacles for men and women. He speaks, they respond. But let me give you point, main point 1A. This is main point 1A this morning. Jesus is the God of lost causes. Jesus is the God of lost causes because when human beings finally reach the end of ourselves, when we finally realize that we do not have it together, Rich Mullins, you know, we are not as strong as we think we are, he said that. When we realize that, then we discover that God is powerful and that God is faithful. And we discover in those moments with the Apostle Paul that when I am weak, he is strong. So, here's another cool thing about this passage this morning. It doesn't matter who you are, there is somebody in this passage that you can identify with. Because we're going to see disciples, a demoniac, an unclean woman, and a little girl and her dad. That's, that, that's, those are the main characters other than Jesus in these stories. So in this crowd, you've got people who are inside, the disciples, you've got people who are outside, the, the demoniac and the woman with the hemorrhage. You've got Jews and Gentiles, men and women, adults and children. You've got people who have utterly no privilege at all, the hemorrhaging woman. And then you've got someone in Jairus, the synagogue official, who has as much privilege as you could have in that day in Jewish society. You've got disciples who want to walk with Jesus, and you've got a demoniac who's saying, get away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. And this has been my prayer this weekend as I've approached this passage. My prayer this weekend is that there is somebody, hopefully more than one, and, and truthfully that we would all realize it, that knows this morning that you are a lost cause. I hope there is somebody in here, multiple people, all of us if possible by the grace of God, and I hope that through God's word that you will see who Jesus is and what he does for those who have come to the end of, our, of their selves, and that when you are weak, you are perfectly positioned, perfectly positioned for the God of glory to come bursting into your life, all right? Now, I hope some of your ears are already perked up. Now, Bill gave you a little homework this week. We're not going to collect it today. He can collect it next week if he wants to. Uh, but the homework was that you would read ahead. And so I hope you have. This is a, a, a lengthy passage, so I'm going to read some of it, and then other places I'm just going to kind of tell the story, all right? But we're going to be in Luke 8, so if you want to have a Bible in your lap and just kind of make sure that I'm tracking, please feel free to do that. Otherwise, you can look at Luke chapter 8, and we're going to put some of the verses up here on the screen behind me. All right, so first of all, we're going to see that Jesus has power over natural forces. Jesus has power over natural forces. Familiar story. Just for the sake of today, try to maybe put what you've thought about these stories. Many of you may have heard them all of your life. Let's, let's try to come at them with a fresh perspective this morning. Verse 22. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and they sailed, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. 
Okay, Mark puts this story right after the parable of the soils. And Mark even says, uh, after that, when evening came, they got into the boat. So I'm going to assume that Luke just leaves that little detail out for, for reasons that he had, but that this is right after the parable of the soils, which we saw last, uh, last week. Jesus has spent a full day teaching, and so he says to his guys, let's get in the boat, let's, let's take a little break and go across the Sea of Galilee. Now, maybe he's even exhausted. Maybe he says to them, let's, let's just get away from the crowds for a little bit. This is the only place in the Gospels where we read about Jesus sleeping. And so Luke gives us just a little glimpse into the real humanity of Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says, he, he was tempted and tried as we are, yet without sin. So that means this, Jesus knows what it's like to work hard all day long and come home and fall into bed exhausted. He knows what it's like. He knows what that feels like. And here's, here's just a little point, and I don't know how far you can take this, but I think it's so interesting. You know, back earlier, when Jesus, when everybody else is sleeping, Jesus is up, you know, praying to the Father. So it's just, it's just interesting to me. So you've got Jesus. He is praying when everybody else is sleeping, and when everybody else is running around freaking out because of the weather, he's sleeping, all right? So just a little picture into, into what it's like to be, to have the mind of Christ. What, what, what is Jesus focused on? It's not the weather. It's what, what does God want me to do next? So verse uh, 23, the second part of the verse, a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and they were in danger. Now, if I had more time, I'd love to talk to you all about the geography of the Sea of Galilee, low, high mountains all around it, warm water, cool winds. You can go look that up. The point is, it really is true that on the Sea of Galilee, these little storms can come up very, very quickly. And so they're out in the Sea of Galilee. The storm comes out without warning. These are not inexperienced boaters, boatsmen, sailors. They're not, they're not inexperienced sailors. Uh, they, James John, Peter, Andrew, they have been called from fishing. They fish on the Sea of Galilee. This is not new for them, but apparently this particular storm is unlike anything they've ever experienced before. And Luke says that the boat was filling with water and they were in danger. Uh, verse 24, they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke, rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. What's it like to live in perfect peace? This is it. This is what it's like to live in perfect peace. What if you and I truly believed that God will never leave us or forsake us? It looks like Jesus sleeping in a boat in the middle of a storm. And you've got to picture this in your mind. I, I don't know how big the boat was. It was probably big enough to carry at least 12 people. Everybody's running around. I can't sleep in a boat, I can't sleep in the middle of 12 guys, and I can't sleep in the middle of 12 guys who are running around freaking out. So Jesus has to be really exhausted. And it's funny too, because all of the gospel writers, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have a little bit of a different account of what is said here. You know, and some people would be like, well, you know, the gospels, they're not all true, because they don't all agree. No, they're talking to different people. Hey, Andrew, what did you say? Well, I said, oh, what are we going to do? And, 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 you know, Peter, what did you say? I said, Jesus, you're just going to let us die. So they're all, they're yelling and they're screaming and they're batting in the hatches. I don't know what that means. But they're taking care of whatever you do. 
when your boat is sinking. Now, I love this. Jesus wakes up. I just picture him being like, oh, his hair's kind of a mess. Guys, what is going on? And he walks over, and he rebukes the wind and the waves. Mark says, he says, peace, be still, and there's calm. And everybody's just, I, I just got him, everybody's just like, what just happened? Just try, try not to be familiar with this for just a second. And you're, it's back in October, and for some reason you have been not connected to any communication, <laughs> and there's a hurricane coming in. Think about that. And you and your friends, who are also not connected to any communication, have decided to have a picnic that day. And you've got everything set up outside. You've got picnic tables, nice little uh, tablecloths, stuff like that. And this, this storm just comes in, and it is just blowing. And, and one of your friends is like, hold on, I got this. And he just walks outside and goes, stop it! And it just quiets down. Can you imagine? Y'all, this is what God is like. This is how powerful he is. And he says to them, verse 25, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that commands even the winds and the waters, and they obey him? Now here at the end, everybody's got questions. Jesus has a question. Where's your faith? Do you know who I am? All this stuff, I, I created it. It's mine. And the disciples say, who is this? I, I don't think we're even close to understanding who we've got in the boat with us right now. All right, leave that. Let's move on to the next story. Jesus has power over natural forces. Jesus has power over supernatural forces. I don't do horror movies. I, don't, I do not like them. I, they scare me to death. Like, if, if I had to pick which was scarier to me, a storm or demons, I would pick demons any day, okay? And so the guys, they keep going across the water. Uh, verse 26 and 27, they sailed to the country of the Gerizines, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped onto the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Now, how's this for a little getaway across the lake? And, and you know what? I think Jesus is like, he's rested. He's probably like, hey, guys, come on, let's go to the tombs. You know, and he gets out of the boat, and the guys, they haven't slept all night, and they're so, so just perplexed at what's going on. And all of a sudden, a naked demon-possessed guy <laughs> runs up to them. All right? Now, from Matthew, we learn three, uh, Matthew and Mark, we learn three extra things about this guy. He screams all day and night. He gnashes himself with stones, and nobody is able to control him because they try to put chains on him, and he just breaks them. So this man is totally under the influence of the demonic. Down in verse 31, Jesus says to him, what is your name? And he says, my name is Legion, which means that was a company of Roman soldiers of up to 3,000. So this man is not possessed by a demon. This man is possessed 
by thousands of demons. So I just, just for a moment here, what does it look like? Because we're, we're in the West, and we don't have as much interaction with this kind of demonic influence as, as other people in the world, at least not that we recognize. So what does it look like to be under the influence of the demonic? Well, first of all, we see this, this, the demons are doing to this man. They've stripped him of his dignity. He walks around naked all the time. In the Bible, to walk around naked is shameful, okay? They lead him to willingly inflict pain on himself. He gnashes himself with stones. They isolate him among the tombs so that he cannot be in contact with other people. And so if these are symptoms of what it means to be afflicted by the demonic in Luke chapter 8, I'm going to go ahead and say that when we see human beings willfully isolating themselves, doing things that are destructive to themselves, behaving in an undignified manner, that the influence of the demonic is at work. Demons work today. They do influence today. Don't, don't be deceived. Those who have given themselves over to drug, to alcohol, to destructive lust, they are under the influence of the demonic. And let me be clear here, too, just so that we can establish this. A demon cannot make you do anything. But when human beings willfully give themselves over to destructive thoughts and behavior, we are giving them free reign to operate in our lives. And Satan and his demons want to destroy every shred of dignity that comes from being created in the image of God. But here's the thing, y'all. Jesus is Lord of the demons. You may be caught in, in a, a legion of destructive behaviors and habits that have gone well beyond your control. But the same Jesus who is Lord of the storm is Lord of the demons. And here's why it's important. Verses 28 through 30, and let me just, let me just walk you through it. This demon-possessed man recognizes that Jesus is the Son of God, and he comes and he bows before him. No human being can subdue this man, but this man comes, as soon as he comes into contact with Jesus, he bows. The disciples just said, we're not sure who this man is. But the demons are like, oh, we know who you are. You're, you're the most high God. We know who you are. So again, let's just be clear. Jesus is Lord. You may hear somebody say sometimes, you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You don't need to make Jesus the Lord of anything. Jesus is the Lord. You need to recognize that Jesus is the Lord. He's the Lord of every human being who walks the face of this earth. He is the Lord of every angel, fallen and unfallen. Paul says in Philippians 2 that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day all the demons and every human being who has ever hated Jesus Christ will bow before him as king. And so, as we encounter this passage this morning, let me just leave you with that thought. Don't make Jesus Lord. Recognize that he is. You have no choice. Jesus is Lord of your life, whether you like it or not. So, at this point in the story, three unexpected things happen. Jesus uh, allows the demons to enter into a herd of pigs. It's a very strange passage. For some reason, the demons, I don't, Luke doesn't explain it, they, they, want, they don't want to leave the region, so they say, can we go into the pigs? I got nothing. Maybe, maybe the demons are just like, all right, fine, if we can't have this guy, you don't get any bacon. It's gone, all of it, off the cliff. And the pigs 
destroy themselves. Secondly, the townspeople ask Jesus to leave their region. Now, word begins to spread that this great miracle has happened, and so they come back and they find this demon-possessed man clothed and reasonable. He's sitting in his right mind, and this is an undeniable miracle. I mean, this guy, I picture this guy like Chunk from the Goonies. Remember Chunk from the Goonies, and he's like breaking the chains, and he keeps saying, Baby Ruth? I'm picturing like that, like that guy. All right, and now he's just sitting there, and he's calm, and they're seized with great fear, and they ask Jesus to leave. So, like, we're good with the scary naked guy in the tombs, but Jesus, we can't have you here anymore. You're scarier to us than he is. And so think about this. Jesus has come to their town. Surely there are other people who need healing. Surely there are other people who need demons cast out. What are they thinking? What would you be thinking? Jesus, come home and help my mom. Jesus, come home and help my brother. Jesus, come home and help my friend. He has the power over demons. He has a power over storms. What do you think today? What do you think of Jesus today? Maybe you're afraid of him. Maybe you're afraid because you're afraid of your life without your sin. And you know that Jesus is going to come in and and he's going to take care of that. It's, just, it's interesting to me when people recognize Jesus forces us to make some kind of decision about him. He really does. You can't just be sort of on the fence about Jesus. It's like, I will either bow before you or I want to get away from you. That's, that's the response here to Jesus. And third, this is so interesting to me. Everybody's begging for something. The demons are begging to go in the pigs. The townspeople are begging Jesus to leave. Jesus doesn't let this man come and follow him. The man comes to him and says, well, I want to come and follow you now. And Jesus says, no, I want you to go home and I want you to tell your friends and family all the things that I've done for you. So Jesus has a mission for this man and it doesn't involve him following Jesus to the next place. Just, you know, a thought here. When Jesus changes your life, don't be so sure that you know what he's going to ask you to do. You know, I... I, there's so many times in my life when I, I think to myself, you know, when I was 22 years old, I, I wouldn't have imagined that I would be here. And here I am, and it's great, and it's glorious. But what Jesus had for me was probably different than what I would have drawn up for me. Let me just sum this up, too, before we move on to the finals. This is, this is one big point I want you to get. Y'all, Jesus is not locked in a battle between good and evil. There is no battle. There's a lot of philosophies out there that want to say that there's some kind of cosmic balance between good and evil. I'm, I'm a child of the 80s. I love Star Wars. I'll, I'll tell you what, I don't talk about it as much, but I'd go toe-to-toe with Fowler any day on a, on a Star Wars trivia contest, okay? I, I got some Star Wars useless knowledge stuck in my head. But here's the thing. There's no force. There's no light side and dark side. Jesus did not come to bring balance to anything. Jesus came to destroy the darkness. There's no contest. So there's Jesus and there's everything else. He can walk out. He can, he can tell the storm to stop. He can, he can walk up to a, a, a cemetery and the demons will bow before him. It's that simple. All right, let's look at the third account. Great, great account Verses 40 through 48, this is about a woman who has had 
some kind of uncontrollable bleed for her whole life. But before we get into that, we meet the main character of the fourth section, and his name is Jairus. Look at verses 40 through 42. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of a synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed about him. All right, let me, let me set this up for you. Jairus is a synagogue official, and he has a lot of people who know that he's in charge. So he's powerful, he's well-known, he's probably pretty well-off. And so let me just, let's just engage in a little sanctified imagination here about how Jairus got to this point that day. He and his wife, they're good Jews. They're really good Jews. They practice the law. They do good things. We would call them good people. They're really good people. And maybe they've seen Jesus around Galilee. Maybe Jairus has gone and heard his teaching, and he's come home, and he said, you know, honey, I really like this Jesus. I mean, he takes things too far, but I'm very interested in the things that he has to say. But for Jairus to become a follower of Jesus would, would cost him quite a bit. He's a ruler of a synagogue, so there's no way he gets to maintain his position as ruler of a synagogue if he's a Jesus follower. And he'll lose friends, he'll probably be ostracized by his family. So maybe up to this point he's been content with just knowing about Jesus, but he doesn't want to, like, follow him. But he comes home one day, and his wife tells him, our little girl has a fever. And they do everything they can, but it's just getting worse. And so they're up late one night, they're next to her bed, they're, they're beside themselves with grief. She's dying, and they know it, and they're out of options. This is a lost cause. And lurking in the recesses of Jairus' mind is Jesus. Maybe his wife brings it up first. Maybe they were in the synagogue that day. Remember, we've already seen the story where Jesus heals the man with the withered hand in the synagogue. Maybe Jairus was there, or maybe he heard about it. And they start to think, what if Jesus can help her? But he knows it's going to be a great cost. But the next morning, the situation is dire. Jairus is at the end of himself, and he's, I, honey, I'm willing, I'm, we're going to give it all up. I'm, I'm going to Jesus. And he believes that Jesus can help his daughter. He kisses his wife, he kisses his little girl, and he heads out the door knowing that he's about to give up everything. Look what the text says, verse 41 and 42. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And so he begs, he falls at Jesus' feet, and he begs him to come and heal his only daughter who's dying. Y'all, this is a proud man. This is a well-connected, respected man, and he is bowing on his face before a poor, itinerant preacher. And Jesus goes. And the crowd is pressing around him. All right, verse 43. Here comes the woman with, the, with the, the, the bleed. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and she had spent all her living on physicians, and she could not be healed by anyone. And she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Okay, so Luke just sort of leaves Jairus there for a moment, and he says that in the crowd there's this woman. She's probably got some kind of uterine bleed. It's been going on for 12 years. It makes her ceremonially unclean. She is embarrassed. It, the, the, Luke says, she, now Luke's a doctor, remember, and he's like, she spent everything she's got on trying to get well. And you can imagine that she has tried every quack, you know, opportunity that she can to try to get better. And so she comes up to Jesus. Y'all, she probably hasn't been touched 
in 12 years because she's ceremonial and clean. Nobody has hugged her in 12 years. And so she comes up and she touches him and she says, maybe if I can just reach out and just touch the hem of his garment, maybe I can be healed. And she does and instantly, miraculously, she's healed. And she tries to like back away in the crowd. Verse 45, Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all had denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Jesus, there are hundreds of people here. What do you mean somebody touched you? And Jesus says, no, somebody touched me because I felt power go out of me. So Jesus looks around and maybe she's, maybe he looks, I, I gotta, you know, he knows, he knows who it is. And I got a picture that he looks, he just looks right at her. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She tells of everybody. She tells in the presence of everybody. Here's what's going on. And Jesus responds to her tenderly. It's not magic. Young lady, it's not magic. It's your faith. Your faith has made you Well, she has timidly come to Jesus and he has brought her healing. And I'm just reminded of James's words in in James chapter four, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Can you imagine her joy? Can you imagine the joy that she must be feeling? So she's suffering and she comes and she bows and she finds herself on her knees before God and Jesus just reaches down and lifts her up and says, your faith has saved you and, and you know what else I give you? I give you peace. Not only are you healed, but you have peace with me. What a joy. Do you look forward to that day? Believer, one day, every single one of us will enter into the presence of Jesus Christ. And I believe we will fall at the feet of the creator of the universe. And y'all, we will be healed in every sense possible. And we will be at peace. And what a joy it will be when our Lord reaches down and picks us up and says, well done, good and faithful servant. What a joy that will be. And I think this woman is a picture of that right here, a little little snapshot of what that's going to be. So back to Jairus. The whole time he's standing there, what is going on? This woman has been bleeding for 12 years. My daughter is about to die. Surely she can wait for 30 more minutes. Jesus I have risked everything to come and to try to get you to help me. And you were coming. You were on your way. And he stopped. Verse 49, y'all. Such a hard verse to think about Jairus at this point. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Y'all, this whole passage is about people who are confronted with unbearable, uncontrollable situations. So you got the guys in the storm, but at least they're still alive. And you got the demon-possessed guy, and again, at least he can still receive healing. And you got, you got the hemorrhaging lady, and again, at least she's still alive. But I think Jairus, talk about, uh, talk about people who are at the end of themselves, I think Jairus is the biggest lost cause of all. She's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Y'all, death is the ultimate enemy. It comes to the rich, to the poor, to the young, to the old. And Jairus is hopeless. 
he has no more hope. Or does he? Look at verse 50. Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, don't fear, only believe, and she will be well. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He's bringing Jairus to the end of himself. Jairus has no more resources. His money is irrelevant. His position is irrelevant. His intellect is irrelevant. He doesn't care. And Jesus knows it. And Jesus says, you're right where I need you. Just believe. Everything's going to be okay. 51 and 53, through 53. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead. She's only sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. You know, these people were like professional mourners. They, we hire people to like play music at our weddings. They hired people to play music at their funerals. And so these people would come in. They were literally hired mourners and they would come and they would tear their clothes and they would weep and they would wail at a funeral. And so Jesus comes in and he says, don't worry, she's just asleep. And they laugh. The professional mourners forget what they're supposed to be doing right now and they mock Jesus. By the way, I don't think Jesus really thinks she's asleep. I think she's totally dead. All of the indication from the scripture indicates that she's totally dead. I think what Jesus is saying is, for me, what I'm about to do is as simple as waking her up. Verse 54, but taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once. And he directed that something be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Man, Luke's account here is so much briefer than I wish it was. I, you know, can you imagine the crying and the hugging that is going on? Can you imagine what the scene must have been like in this little girl's bedroom? And he says, he says, get up. And she gets up at once. There's no recovery. You know, she doesn't have to grab a cane. She just gets right up. Think about the astonishment of Peter, James, and John at this point. And then I love what Jesus says here. He says, give her something to eat. Like, she's been sick. She hasn't eaten. She's weak. Or she's not weak anymore, but she's hungry. And Jesus, Jesus is, he hasn't just popped in to do like an amazing miracle and pop out. Like, he cares about all of our needs, y'all. The little things. Hey, she might be hungry. Give her something to eat. Y'all, he knows what we need better than we do. Y'all, I, I just, I believe this with all my heart. Jesus wants to help us. He wants to help us weak sinners far more than we want him to help us. I, I believe this, y'all. It's just a matter of recognizing what's going on. And these are some of the best stories that I would say have ever been told in all of humanity. And we need to see from them just two points, and I know I've moved very quickly, and let me tell you, if you've seen things and you would like to discuss some little details in here with me, I, I would love to talk to you about those things, but I want, I want to just land two big thoughts for our purposes this morning. Number one, very simple, Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. Think about the power of his words. He speaks to the storm, and it's calm. 
He speaks to a legion of demons, and they say, sir, yes, sir, and they stand at attention. They bow down. They do whatever he says to do. He speaks, and a little girl gets up and wants something to eat. This is the same Jesus who lives and reigns today, and he is so powerful. This profound truth is probably best communicated by Jesus Loves Me, the song. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Y'all, we are so weak. We are so much weaker than we think we are. Brothers and sisters, if we could only believe that, if by God's grace he would show us all how poor and powerless we really are and how rich and powerful he really is, I believe that the Spirit would move this church to do things that we can't even ask or think. Secondly, Jesus is Lord of all. Number two, do you believe that Jesus is Lord of all? Because this is a passage about power, but it's also a passage about faith. And the question for us is the same one that Jesus asked the disciples that day in the boat, or that night in the boat, where he said, where is your faith? How convinced are you that Jesus is powerful to help? I said at the beginning, Jesus is the God of lost causes. So in these four stories, we find four people who are totally at the end of their resources. So we see the disciples. I'm going to call the disciples terrified faith. Like, they think they're about to die, and they cry out, and they say, Master, save us, or we're going to die. The demoniac, he has zero faith. And I think this one's really interesting, y'all. Maybe you're here this morning, and as of coming into this room, you want nothing to do with Jesus. Maybe this morning you would have said, Jesus, I want you to stay far away. But as you've heard these words from the Scripture, you have recognized who he is. And you recognize him, so now the question for you is, will you bow down before him? The woman with the hemorrhage has timid faith. Maybe you've been battling for decades. You are sick. Metaphorical storms. You've been beaten down. You're weak. You have spent every resource that you have, and you're not getting any better. And you have drifted into some sort of just acceptance. To you, I would say, Jesus just wants you to ask. He will accept your timid faith. The question isn't how much faith you have, it's whether you have faith at all. And then Jairus. Jairus has desperate faith. But I also wonder sometimes if Jairus, as I was thinking about this, does he have sort of like uh, entitled faith? I'm a good guy. I'm well connected. I need you to help me. I need you to help me right now. And Jesus says, yes, but I'm going to take care of this first. Maybe we are people who need to realize more about how little we have in terms of resources and intelligence and even our religion and just humble ourselves before Jesus. Is it possible that we don't see Jesus answering these kind of prayers because we still haven't been convinced that there's not more we can do personally to get them answered. And please understand this. We're talking about faith 
in Jesus. Do not leave here this morning believing that I have given you some kind of exhortation to believe in yourself. Every Disney movie for the last 30 years has been peddling this garbage. Believe in yourself and your dreams will come true. Remember the Prince of Egypt? Like Steven Spielberg, it was a cartoon, and at the, the, the Whitney Houston and um, one of those other singers sang that song, uh, I wrote it down, there can be miracles if you believe. That's garbage. There is a object of our belief, and it is not us, and it is not some nameless force. Nobody in this passage believes in themselves. That is the point. Our faith is in one person, and it is not ourselves. It is in Jesus Christ, for we are weak, and he is strong. So, I know we have people in this room today who feel like lost causes. Can I just encourage you, as I close, you are right where God wants you to be. Jesus wants you to ask him for help even if it's all you can muster to have a timid faith that would just reach out to touch the edge of his garment. And to you who don't think you're a lost cause this morning, Jesus has more work to do, and I ask you by the grace of God to consider that you are not as strong as you think you are. Would you let the Spirit of God convict you of your weakness, cry out to Him to save you from your own resources so that you can experience His power? Because He is Lord of all. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the picture of Christ that we have in this passage this morning. And I thank You for His tenderness And I thank you for his power, and I thank you that he gives peace. And my prayer is that we would all leave here this morning with more thoughts of Jesus to see who he really is so that we can know God. Father, help us to see by your grace that we are not strong. We are weak creatures. We are creatures. That's what we are. And so, Lord, Give us the grace to know that. Father, for those who are at the bottom this morning, give them the grace to call out and to experience your power like never before. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.